listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. friends this episode is brought to you by saucy farm located in wiggins mississippi they're the premier australian stock horse stud in north america proudly standing are bound down zorro hayden satellite and stonebrook finno bound down zorro has fresh cooled semen with a live full guarantee hayden satellite and stonebrook finno have a limited supply of frozen semen bound down zorro offspring have proven time and time again that athleticism endurance speed and intelligence are just a few of the qualities his offspring possess on their way to close to 200 best playing pony awards. Zorro offspring are also exceptional in hunter jumper and inventing discipline. Hayden Satellite comes from the famous Hayden Horse Stud in Australia and is currently proving himself on the polo cross field. Satellite offspring were awarded best playing horse in international test matches in 2019 and his offspring have now started to make a name for themselves in the jumping arena. Stonebrook Finno is the premier sire in Australia for polo cross. Saucy Farm is near and dear to my heart. By purchasing our two stallions two years ago, Karen and Charles have carried on the legacy of my family and the hard work that my mother put into bringing the Australian stock horses to the United States for the sport of polo cross. All four of my horses are a result of that breeding program, and you just can't go wrong. Saucy Farm and Australian stock horses, the breed for every need. You can find them on Facebook or call 228-263-0930. Are you a polo cross related business? Chuck a Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polocrossmadesimple.com. Space is limited. On this episode of Chuck a Talk, you'll meet Scott Keogh of Scott Keogh Horsemanship, a top Australian horse trainer, with special guest co host Renee Thompson. Renee goes through a list of questions for Scott on horse training as we pick up many, many golden nuggets of information along the way. What a pleasure it was to spend time with Scott. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the pull across world by connecting people together and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. Hey, Scott, how are you? Good night. How are you going? Good. Give a big hug and a kiss to your wife and your kids. I will do, mate. They're at school drop-off at the moment. Yeah, see, you probably didn't shower, but... <laughs> didn't shave. Yeah. Just for you, mate. Yeah, see you. Yeah, see you too. Welcome, Scott Keogh from Scott Keogh Horsemanship to the podcast, Chuck a Talk. I feel like we're sloppy seconds because you were just with the Swan Cup guys. That's all right. Ours will be much better. Um, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. I want to give some background on Renee Thompson, who's our co-host today. She's a dear friend. I revere her as the best horse trainer I know in the United States. Oh, uh, a- I do. She's she's phenomenal. I've been on World Cup teams with her. She'll give it to you straight. Uh, poor Scott has to uh, endure her. She's just a phenomenal horse person and a great friend. So I'm so glad to have her on here. She's the one that organized you, Scott. I'm very thankful and very excited about all the questions that she has lined up. But I wanted to give a little bit of background. I know Scott came over to the U.S. We do have something in common. We both have worn the green for Warwick. Warwick, I want to say correctly. Warwick. Uh, Yep, Warwick. And that was was at the Gold Coast Carnival in 2000 when Robbie, Heather, and I. Scott played then? No, 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 no. But we weren't together. But this is after Scott. We play in the C grade. And... 
the Weir, Bill Weir said that Robbie and Heather and I weren't that good, but they put us in the C grade. We were whipping all these little kids' butts, and uh, everyone was talking trash about us, how we're just bullies and we're so mean and all that. But oh, uh, remember, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so we both won the, the green. I know that you, uh, you, Scott, were a champion junior player in the late 90s. That was your last yeah. pull across, right? Yeah, 96, I think, mate. Yeah. 96. Okay. I know that you came over to the state, so I just need a brief summary of how that went. Renee can probably give her side of the story, but what, sure. what, year, what year did you come over? I can't remember. I, I can't remember either. It was, it was probably Jane Cooper that set all that up. Obviously, Jane and Renee were good friends, and uh, I don't even know how the opportunity came about, mate, but I flew in to Minnesota somewhere and just walked into this polo cross grounds and I think I met Renee, Prissy and Dory, maybe Robbie Shuttles, uh, but it was like two days before the carnival. Uh, we had a clinic up there and um, it just kicked on from there. I, you know, made some lifelong friends out of, out of the Americans. How long were you here and how, how many uh, places did you go? Mate, I, I know I've been out to Raul's club maybe twice. Carolina. I'm thinking. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've been to Tennessee Valley maybe once or twice. Uh, I'm losing track now. And then I've just visited Renee maybe a time or two as well, you know, on the shuttles and just become good friends, you know? So you've been to the States a couple times. We've been, well, well, he likes to come in and play with his or go with his other trainers and stuff, but he flew into Minneapolis and did a clinic there. And then he went to North Carolina after that. And I think you did two clinics there and maybe one clinic here, broke a horse in here. Then you went back maybe to Stephenville and then you came back another year. Then we did the clinic at Bernie's. Okay. Yeah. That's, see, I lived in the States for about six or eight years when I was a young oh. fella, oh. rodeoing. So when the opportunity come to go back, I loved it. You know, I, I miss mm. the States. Yeah, I, I can't wait for the borders to be open. I'll be back first plane again. Where did you live? Mate, I lived in Wyoming for a year, Calgary for two, mm. and then around Weatherford, Texas for about three or four. Oh, Weatherford, that's that's the place to be for uh, for raining and all that stuff. Yeah. Cutting horse trainers. And um, yeah, I, I really, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a great place to visit. Um, I love where I raise my kids in Australia, uh, little country schools, things like that. But I do love visiting the States. And I took all my family um, on the trip like last last time the borders were open, maybe two years ago. And it was fantastic because I was visiting town. I had an overnight and we got to see him and his amazing family again in Los Angeles. So it just kind of worked out. So when you were, yep. when you were flying back, you got to see him? or So it was probably what, Scott, maybe a month or two after World Cup, maybe a little bit longer, but not much. And then I just happened to have an overnight and we just coordinated and we got to have dinner with him. Mm-hmm. In yep, LA. Um, LA, yep. Way back in the day, um, 2009, I believe, we had Mary- Marianne Goff here, and yep. she, she imprinted, she was training me mostly, but uh, did a lot of work with my horse, uh, Keystone Top Gun, Gunner. How much of an influence was Vic Goff in your early years? Or Mate, I was, I was never around Vic as such, but my grandfather and Vic and, and all that era, they were sort of the guys, you know? So I tell people my heroes have always been cowboys. Like I, I didn't know if you got paid to break in a horse. All I knew was that, you know, my grandpa and, and, and guys like Vic, they could handle any horse around. And, and to me, that was alpha male stuff. You know, that's, I didn't know if they had any money or anything. I just knew I wanted to do that. 
Renee, do you have any memories from the trip? Anything specific with horses or anything that you saw that uh, anything, maybe you could even mention something that you learned that stood out in your mind when you first met Scott? Oh, a lot. I mean, yes. So, I mean, he's taught me a lot. And one is he doesn't give me any, I mean, he would, he tells me the truth, just like you said, I do. So he's like, just get your ass on and ride, you know, so, or do this. So no, it's been, it's, it's been really enjoyable and good. And he's given me a lot of tidbits. Yeah. And everyone talks, talks about you, Scott, you're the, you're the guy now. I mean, people just want to have you back and you are such an influence on a lot of people. The nation is, is, is very grateful for you. Let's get into some, some of Renee's questions. I'll, I'm sure I'll have some, but Renee has prepared some questions from you and other people. So let's get yes. into it. Okay. So Scott, when you, I know, I know the answers to a lot of these questions, but I'm going to ask you so you can put them on there. So how much work do you want done on a young horse or, you know, a two-year-old when they come to your house to be okay. Worked? So the best way I can answer that is imagine if you're a hairdresser, right? And every person that walks through the door has had a self attempt at their haircut before you start. That's like my business, right? I, I know. I, yeah, I know your answer. So, yeah, I agree. So if, you, if you're handy, do a lot. And, and if you're not handy, realize it and don't yeah. touch it, you know, because um, you imagine a hairdresser trying to fix up this haircut, there's chops everywhere. That's a lot of what I do is first two or three days undoing what, what the owner did. What's the more specific thing that you see when they come to you? Uh, they're, they're, they're numb and they won't get out of your space. They, they really think that, that a horse that's quiet and that you can pat all over, they think that's amazing. Where I want a horse that's A, desensitized like that, but B, sensitized. So when I say, hey, get out of my space or move your front end or back up, it's a, it's a yes, sir answer, not make me. I just stand here and get pats, you know? Mm. That's so the hardest thing. Came, when he came to my house and worked with Jay-Z and Zeke, or completely different horses, and they were two, and he made me catch both of them, which was fine. I could do it. But he's like, I make the owners catch the horse because if they can't catch the horse, I'm not working it. I, I, I can't remember that. All I can remember is like nearly dying at your place with those <laughs> trees hanging into the yard. That, yes, that was not on my horses, though. That was on Stephanie Shuttle's horse. But yes. It was. <laughs> That's all I and you're like, I'm not coming there to ride again unless you cut those trees. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I remember mostly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So another, okay, I've got different ones. Okay. So I feel like in your, one of your numerous DVDs, like all of them, the exercises for riders from another discipline. So if you've come from a hunter background or a, you know, some kind of English background, what would be the best exercise to train your horses to go into polo cross? Oh, geez. Good question. Um, and this is getting a little bit back to your first question is you cannot teach a horse to lean into pressure. So if he's this foal and he's rubbing on you that hit him in the belly and get him away from you. That's step one. So then you take a thoroughbred racehorse, they're taught to lean on that snaffle, you know, and, and then I see some English disciplines where they're very in hand and, and they're leaning on that leg. So a horse can't lean into pressure. So I, a polo cross horse needs a lot of galloping, but I would do a ton of side passing. If you could tell those people, just do some front end, back end, and really work on your back up. So, so when you pick up your hand with a feather-like feel, that horse flows off that bit, not just drags one foot after another. They've got to get off pressure. So another question, how long would you like to keep a green horse? Right, million-dollar question, you know. It just, it just, uh, <laughs> I've got good ones. I've got, like, lists. <laughs> how long would you keep a string? So, uh, 
Look, um, you know, taking horses for four and six weeks like we do back here, the quick fix only lasts as long as, as, as it took to put on him. You know, it, it all depends how handy the owner is that's going to take him home. So you're comfortable, like you judge the amount of time you keep a horse based on the owner? Well, look, it comes back to their pockets too, mate. You know, like um, I, I get a little over $400 a week for, for a horse here. And some guy's not going to leave his horse here for 10 or 12 weeks and rack up a $5,000 bill on, on a horse that's probably worth half of that, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, I come that. back to their pockets, but um, yeah, I wish they stayed longer. Yeah. So you'd like them to be 90 days. Oh, minimum. that'd be great. That, that'd be a dream. Yep. So, you know, I've got horses here that are here for five weeks and on day one I'm roped because they're wild. Yeah. And, and that, that owner's got a bit of a uh, picture in his head that he's going to waltz in here on, on um, the fifth week and just step aboard him like the old gray mare. And that kind of goes back to the other question, you know, how do you want them when you get them? Look, I mean, I I can remember um, Les Fraser, you would have heard of him, he's sort of the stalwart of the Warwick Club. When those horses of his would turn up to be broken in, he could lead them in with the saddle, like sensible, intelligent, ready, ready to learn. Yep. So there's lots of horses here that I've got to teach to learn to learn so that that's you know a horse has to learn to learn and let's say i just tapped him on the shin well he's got to learn that hey if if i move away that tap goes away so but but if he thinks he's going to stand there with his ears pinned and, and walk over my toes well golly he's he's on the wrong path you know and, and so many people get that wrong they think because he's quiet that he's a door right so that's that's sort of like the alpha discussion where they're thinking they're the alpha over you there's maybe just too much of that padding and yeah, like you said, just treating them like a cuddly bear. Like a but, yeah, like a lap dog, you know. So yeah. I just wish that my average customers knew there's two sides of the coin. There's desensitizing, which is friendly time, and sensitizing, which is move your feet. That's the bit they miss. And so, okay, so how much do you think of like wives' tales, like the white eye, you know, the white around the eyes or the circle around the forehead and stuff what do you think about that you judge your horse by that oh yeah i hate to see any of that white in his eye mate and you know you just got to look at the other day someone said um oh the horse i've got he looks like the horses that make the finals or make the a grade and that's important like you don't see a skinny little white guy in the nfl like they have to look the part there's an exception to every rule of course but you know, Rosa, like your good man, if she was tied up on the pony lines at the Argentine Open, she would not look out of place. Yep. It's, I mean, you imagine if you're a talent scout picking young baseballers. I'm sorry, but the fat kid doesn't cut it. Yep. You know, um, they, they got to, there's horses for courses, you know. I yep. want an athlete. For sure. There's, is there something to be said about the wider eyes being able to see more and to train? I mean, is there anything to that? Absolutely, mate. I got a buddy in America that just, uh, his name's Hayden Upton, and he does so well at buying yearlings, and he's just dominant. And I'd say, Hayden, what what are you seeing that I'm not? And he says, Scott, good horses look like good horses. And, and I'd say, come on, give me more than that. You know, give me length and neck. Give me, you know, and and I can see it now. If you went to the the nationals at Dray there, and you look at those horses that the New South boys are on, you should be able to really pick the best horse there on type. Once you see a, a calmness, a confident head on that horse, all of a sudden it's it's a look you start seeing. All right, that makes so sense. we'll go back yep. to training. So what is one of your favorite training drills for a young horse? Look, I think if you've got a stop, you've got everything. And if you haven't got a stop, you've got nothing. So 
it's it's about getting him stopped. In saying that, I was sitting beside a pole across field one day and I'm with Hayden Turnbull, a good mate of mine, and there's like a C-grade game going on. And I said, Hayden, what are you seeing? What What is the average guy having trouble with? He said, Scott, they think they wish their horse stopped better or checked better, but actually their horse is a galloping hot. A horse so needs to gallop. Right. So that's what I was going to say. How about a horse that's not going forward and they're stopping too much? Well, that's a nice problem, mate. I I, I got a pretty sharp set of spurs there in, in the trunk. I could I could get him going forward. <laughs> but um, but them ones that are like a proverbial steam train that once they get going, don't want to stop, that's the hard stuff. You know, those horses have got to have a lot. You know, you take, for instance, a, a kid's pony, you know, at your country show, or whatever, those kids gallop all day. And those ponies don't pull. That's because they, A, get ridden, and B, get ridden fast a lot. Where yeah. we're kind of lazy. You're going to ride a horse for 20 minutes, feed him like a racehorse, then wonder why he's out of his skin. they got to be candid a lot. So I remember the one drill you showed us that if they are pulling, you just pick a point and then bring them around. And that can work really good. So um, I'm friends with an American lady who's on, been on the Olympic show jumping team. And I said to her one day, what do you do with a hot horse? And she said, Scott, is he hot mentally or physically? And I just, I nearly fell off my horse. I said, what, you mean there's two types? And um, so you've got to work out, is he hot mentally or physically? Let's pretend a kettle is boiling, right? Where does the steam come out when it boils? From the top. At the top. the top. Right, so here's your horse. He's at boiling point. Where's the steam coming out? From the top. Yeah, and where are you fighting? From the front. The top. Yeah. So just try and... Try and put that negative steam out anywhere other than the top. So if you've got to pick up one rein, if you've got to push your hips off him, if you've got to side pass him for 10 minutes straight, just try and push that negative steam out anywhere other than the top. And if you can picture that in your head, you're going to be ahead of 99% of people at ride horse because we've all done our block and we've all just fought that top. Renee, real quick. Yeah. Sorry, I have so many questions. That's okay. You're doing this is great. But this kind of connects to what you're saying. This and this is something that I find that would be that I would find really hard to train because I'm not a trainer. I've I've heard Lizzie Reed on the last podcast talking about pacing in a game where instead of you doing these big stops and spins and wasting your horse, you're pacing, you're slowing, you're checking, you're slowing, you're checking, and you're you're actually preserving your horse. Joy Poole used to talk about, you know, you're kind of it's hard to explain, but when you check your horse is still moving and then they, they jump, they jump here and then they, they, then they jump there as opposed to these long sliding raining type stops uh, where you have to bring them back up. So how do you train that where they're, they're ready to go at any time, but they're not having to use all that energy to restart their engine. I feel like that might, um, that's just. That I'm probably sense. the wrong guy to ask because I'm not out there playing top polo cross. Those guys could, could answer that better than me, but it all comes from respect from the bit. You know, if, if you pick up that bridle, his feet have got to acknowledge that bit. Um, if, if, he, if he just pushes on it and Rue hops forward, then that horse needs a lot of stopping and backing up maybe to go, hey, I only asked for a check, but, but if you want to ignore me, we will go all the way to the ground and let them know that checking is actually an easy option. And, and I agree with what those girls say. Could you imagine if a car was out of petrol and we had to push start it? Mm. It takes a lot of energy to get it moving, but once it is moving, it don't take too much. But if someone come along and kept putting a rock in front of our wheel every 10 yards and stopping us, mm. holy geez, that takes some energy to get going again. So that's where those good players, um, they've still got a horse left Sunday afternoon. Um, and it starts by the way they play on Saturday morning. They've got that check. They've got that impulsion. 
but it's all balanced together. It's not just all in, in the front or all in the back. Everything's communicating. And I can pick, I sort of picture that, that rollback turn on the center where the horse isn't just dragging around its front feet. They're kind of, all of its legs are moving at the same time to get out of that corner. I don't know. That's just what I picture. I'm just trying to, that makes yeah, sense. I call it like one of my other top trainers that I love listening to and learning from was Guy Robertson and he calls it run the circle. So it's not them on the forehand. You actually are bringing them around. And so it's not necessarily a sit back rollback. It's more run on the circle, but they're still on the hind end. Braxton does it amazing. I mean, and when you ride his horses, you need to do that because they're going to run the circle. So it's not incorrect. It's very correct, but they very seldom cross over the hind end, just basically running the circle. So it's almost like just pivoting in the whole time. Yeah. Corkscrew in, corkscrew out yeah. type of thing. Yeah. It's still on the haunches. It's still, but it's, it's not just coming back, stopping, but it's still continuously running. So if you can envision that, he was the first one that told me that years ago. Yeah, perfect. Sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> you know, probably the one thing that can be disillusioning is what you see Saturday, Sunday might not be the way they're riding him at home. That's, that's the biggest thing I'm going to say is uh, just because you didn't see him stopping back up on the field, he might need a lot of stopping and backing up Monday to Thursday so he is responsive again and does just take that light check you know so that's that's definitely one thing you know I, I follow the cutting and the raining and things like that and just watching them on Saturday can be a big disillusion well a lot of work during the week a lot of work during the week yeah, yes a lot of work during the week okay so how about what's your best thing for selling a horse in the lineup so green or settling them like making them like if they're anticipating everything like what's well, geez, I don't know. I mean, I, it just comes back to the whole thing about horsemanship is making a high-pressure area comfortable, and that doesn't vary. Whether we're talking about blocking a cow, going over a show jump, so somehow you've got to put in your head, okay, th there's a reason why this horse doesn't like it. Um, I've got to make this area better than the next. And to me, it's no different to if a horse won't load in a float. I'm going to lunge the crap out of him, and pretty soon that float's going to be like a holiday. So... If that horse is antsy about that lineup, you've got to practice with some like-minded people so that when you go in that lineup, hey, let's just sit here and have a breather and and uh, we'll just roll a cigarette and we'll make this area pretty good and we'll throw the ball in and we're not going to harpoon him out of here because, you know, he's worried about, you know, the best prediction of his future is his history. So if he thinks when I go in there, this is when this other horse runs into me, um, my rider really clamps up, he's hitting me with two spurs and, and he's pulling on my mouth, I just don't like that place. Well, you got to go in there and do the opposite. You know, maybe that's where you, at the end of a chucker, you go in there and you just all line up and have a breather and loosen your girth and put them away. You know, maybe that yeah. might become his favorite place. One of the first clinics you did that we got off at the lineup. Like after your yeah. chucker was done, you take your horse back to the lineup and you get off there and that's their relief. But there, there is something to be said about the horse's fight or flight mentality too right so um like if if they spook at something and again this is coming from someone that doesn't know much but if they spook at something you kind of just keep going and you don't make a big deal out of it or you're talking about with the horse trailer and the lineup maybe you're you're making it a comfortable space um but you're also maybe distracting them by having them do other things like you said lunging so would you in the lineup you might kind of do a circle and come back in and, and just until it's Absolutely. okay Absolutely. You know, it, it's not rocket science. You, you know, I, I love I love working with racehorses and we work a lot of racehorses that don't want to go in the in the starting stalls. So I've just got to make the starting stall better than being outside. It's 
And once you can understand the concept, you can nearly do anything with a horse. If, if you understand, okay, how can I put this back on him to where he wants it? You know, that's, that's how can I, and, and you know, it's easier said than done. It, and maybe he doesn't want to put it, pick up his hind foot. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want to back up. How can I put it back on him to where he wants it? And uh, that, that takes a bit of deep thinking sometimes. Okay. So another question real quick. I only have a couple more. So what, are like the common mistakes you see that people might do with their horses? Like what's your biggest pet peeve? Like if they're riding a green horse and how, what's your biggest pet peeve that how they can screw them up? Oh, geez. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I told you I was going to put you on the spot. Look, I I, I think the the best thing you can do uh, as a rider is do some cross training, you know, get a lesson off your local dressage guy and, and see the world over the other side of the fence, things like that, you know. Learn what collection is. Learn what on the bit actually means. It is so much fun when you get out of your depths. I've been out of my depths competing now in some of the Stockland's Challenges, and when you expand your horizons like that, it, it really is fun to me. It's, it's just, but you didn't answer my question. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see people make? They let them lean on the bit. They let them push okay. on the bit. That, you know, when, when they go for a stop and this horse spews his old neck out there and he gets reward and a big pat, next thing they're hosing him down. I'm thinking, did you just miss that? So would you because do I more flexion, more body, yeah, like, shoulder, hips? Well, you know, if I pick up on that rein, he's to give to the bit. You know, so whether I've got to back him up a few times or whatever, I'm going to put him up on a note so that when he comes back in tomorrow, he's meant to be better. You know, he's meant to be better. Um, so I, I think the average guy, if something peeves me off or whatever, I think they underrate being consistent. I think they think, oh, today I'm really going to, you know, get his head down. Today I'm really going to do this. And then tomorrow they just jack around. I see him do a stop at a gate or while they're talking their buddies and this horse to me headbutts him in the nose and they don't do anything about it. Scott, do you want to talk about the game changer? Is, it, is this where this comes into play? Um, like a game changer, like like a martingale you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Look, that's just a good tool, uh, a really good tool. Again, uh, it's only one. as good as the guy hanging on the other end of it, yeah. um, but definitely a tool that we use. And we use training aids to avoid fights. So let's say I want to throw the ball around. I know my horse is going to get up over the bridle. If, if I've got no martingale on him, I could spend half the day. So, yeah, I, I might just put that game changer on him and so I can do my job and worry about the ball or the cow and, and that's going to do um, it's going to do its job. I see that you sell them. Is that your trademark thing? I sell like maybe three or four items on my website. I think our biggest trouble, Ryan, is we're too busy being busy. I've got 20 <laughs> horses in work and there's a million ideas I should be doing with my DVDs and online club and all that stuff. But we're just, I coach my son's footy team. My wife coaches my daughter's netball team. And uh, maybe I should get a little more proactive about a lot of that stuff and sell a few more items. But I just sell the items that I use and that I'll stand by, you know? Great. Oh, one more question. Then I'm done with questions and we can chat about it. Okay. So what's your thoughts on a warm-up drill for your horses, say for any sport? Should they, should they have a warm-up drill? Like I have one and... A lot of people think just trotting around is how you warm up. I disagree, but I'm happy to be wrong. Okay, so so if I'm here at the ranch just working horses, I firmly believe that my warm-up is more important than my ride because Great. a soft start is halfway to a good finish. And, and you guys will be able to relate to this. You've got a day job. You come home. There's your horse standing in the yard. You throw the saddle on him. You're on his back within five seconds. 
you feel resistance in your left rein and a bit of resistance in your right. He's kind of half humpy. Uh, before you know it, you've just started the conversation all on the wrong foot. You're ticked off, he's ticked off, and you're in a little arm wrestle. You actually set your ride up to fail, where I'm going to groundwork that horse for five minutes, and then I'm going to take him for a walk for another five, and I'm going to save time. Because that whole time I'm warming up, I'm feeling where the resistance is, I'm feeling where my horse's mind is at, and I know what I need to work on for that ride. So I look, I've had young man's disease half my life, and, and I know what it's like to get on their back and go straight to it. But I can tell you now, I've got 20 horses in work. At the moment, every one of them is going to get warmed up properly. And so if I get him on the right page, you know, maybe I'm going to do a circle each way and a little stop and trot down the road and put him away. You're done. Yep. Done. But if you if you get on their back on the wrong foot and he throws in a bit of a bark and resistance in the mouth, it could turn into an hour-long arm wrestling. Yep, for sure. So have some kind of warm-up. Have some kind of warm-up, and it's going to vary for every horse. So uh, – you guys, um, you guys would have heard of Ray Hunt. Yep. So he's kind of like the godfather of, you know, natural horsemanship. So I know his grandson a little bit. And I said to him one day, I said, uh, what's the best thing you learn off your grandpa? And he's, man, I, you know, where do you start? Two days later, he come back to me. He said, Scott, I thought about it. The best thing grandpa ever taught me is that a horse must be in a learning state of mind. So whether that means he needs an extra dip of oats, whether that means he needs leading off the quad bike for three days before he gets his ride whether that means he needs backing up riding forward riding sideways you must know that all your horses are different and what is it going to take to get your horse in a learning frame of mind and that's one of the best sayings i've ever picked up because i've got horses down there that they're in a learning frame of mind in 10 seconds because of that kind of horse and then there's other ones down there they're going to get put in the horse walker they're going to get maybe a drive in the long reins and we are going to get them in a learning frame of mind. For sure. For sure. Yep. So what's, what do we have to learn? Cause you told me you sent me your 505 DVD, but I haven't received it. So one day maybe, but so what do we have to learn on that? Mate? Uh, good question. Good question. So basically all the DVDs I've made have been about three years apart or something like that. So all that's been is a collection of what's helped me in that period. You know, I, I never set out to ever make a horse train on DVD. I never set out to ever put on clinics. It just happened organically. Put together everything I knew in my first DVD. And then a couple of years later, I thought, well, geez, I've changed that a bit. Or I wish I knew that back then. I have a collection of every horse train in the world. I've got their DVD, you know, and, and I see them as cheap investments for 50 or $80. It's about half the price of getting your horse shod. And you can't live long enough to learn from your mistakes. You, you just can't. So you've got to learn from someone else's. Yeah, hopefully in this last DVD, you can uh, learn from a few of mine. Whenever I get it. And also I've got a DVD I'm sending you, but which hadn't got there either. But <laughs> I know you were saying how how uh, crazy busy you are, but if they, uh, like you said, the uh, online club would be better because I don't even have a DVD player right now. But <laughs> to be able to access them like on the video section on of YouTube, your website, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yep. pay for, I pay the same amount of money for that. Plus, there's isn't there a DVD compatibility issue with the U.S. DVD players? I think you got to watch them on your on your on your computer. Your oh, PC, okay. I think. Yeah. okay. 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 Yeah, this is all the stuff that's you know changing and evolving as we go. And yeah, I, I just tell myself that I'm going to get on top of all this. But at the end of the day, there's bloody 20 horses down that stable. And the time you get through the end of the week and you go to your kids' sport, another week passes without doing it. You know. My question is, how have you evolved as a trainer? Because I mean, I guess you started out; it was in your blood, your mom's side of the family, right? Yep. And you, you were a bronc rider, right? Yep. Early on, polo cross player. 
tough as guts, just, you know, being like you said, so the alpha male thing that that's how you got into it. And how have you evolved over time as a horse trainer? I know that you, you said you've owned all the DVDs from all the trainers. So you probably picked up pieces along the way, but how, how have you, and I, and I think about the word patience because I mean, I'm sure when you're young and you're competing and, and you're not training as many other uh, people or horses in the beginning, maybe I, I feel like you'd have to learn patience over time because yeah. of more interactions with people. So tell me about that sort of evolution. Oh, I'd, I'd love to think that I'm nothing like the guy I was 10 years ago. I'd love to think I'd like to think I've evolved as a bit of a thinker, which did not come naturally. Everything was bronc ride. You know, everything was get on him, don't be a pussy. So I'd love to think that some of it is my mental stuff has sunk in a little bit. Try and outsmart one, you know, rather than outmuscle one. It's changed a lot. I had a cult buck me off about a week ago here the other day, and it hurt, and he bucked me off quick and hard. And uh, no one's seen it, luckily. (laughs) But, yeah, like once they bucked all day. You know, I, I don't want any of that bucking. And and part of that is the owner's needs. You've got to be respective of what the owner's needs. So if you take, like, Renee, a friend of mine, you're, like, what, 70 years old or something like that. If you send me <laughs> yeah, a Yeah, 82, no, yeah, pushing 90. If you, if you <laughs> he told me cult, one time, he goes, I had some lady who's, like, 50-year-old with training her horse. I'm like, Scott, I'm 53. He goes, yeah, but you're not that. <laughs> <laughs> so... So let's say Renee sends me a cult and, and it's bucking with me and it, it's a looking back bastard. Somewhere in there as a decent person, I need to say to that owner, I don't like your horse. He's in the bottom 1% of my team and they can choose to listen to me or not because they're only horses. Imagine what a broken leg at, at your age or stage in life would cost you. People get too passionate about their horses instead of professional. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if there's 20 horses in the barn here and One's bucking every day and the other 19 aren't. You've got to take that on board as an owner and go, well, you know, maybe Scott did a poor job. We'll try this other guy. That's cool. Or maybe the bloodlines I'm chasing and that just aren't going to suit me at the stage I'm in in my life. You know, I'm not no longer a 20-year-old cattleman. I'm you now a 60-year-old office worker. So, yeah, the average guy, he's um, a horse. First job, a horse could be quiet. A first his horse job is transportation. If he can't go from A to B without bucking you off or wanting to piss off and bolt, He's no good. Get another one. Well, and that goes to another question. Like, when do you give up on a horse? Like, at what point? 30 days? Um, but look, like Renee, we, we, we never sacked a horse in my in my day working for my grandpa. There was no such thing. And we should have sacked hundreds. Now, I might have sacked five or six horses in my life here. And each time was because, A, I knew the owner. B, I cared about him as a person. And their horse was a dangerous and or tough animal. If they were a 20-year-old bronc rider, I'd say, have at it, dude. Pull your hat down and you be a legend. You go get to the bottom of him. But they weren't. There are people like yourself that have got a day job and just don't need that animal. Right. No, mine goes for 60 days because I don't want to get bucked off. I don't need them taught to turn or stop or spin. I just need them ridden. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's where profession gets in the way of passion. I won't. I breed court horses now and I won't I breed a horse that that hasn't won in Fort Worth. That's my rule. If you yeah. haven't won in Fort Worth, <laughs> I'm not bringing the one that run third at Austin. I'm bringing so the one that won in Fort I Worth. I did ask him, 
we, we talked quite a bit and I asked him um, a month or so ago, which he prefers. Cause I saw he had a quarter horse and I was like quarter horse or stock horse. And he said quarter horse for camp drafting and stock horse for polo cross. Is that, do you yeah, stand by that? You remember my opinion's only based on the guy that's doing the first month on him. So there's plenty of horses here that go on to be great. And I think, geez, oh, he was a bastard to break in that thing. You know, like he had some endurance in him and, and, Let's be honest, there's plenty of top polo cross horses out there. We've all talked about the horse that, you know, won a nationals, but he's a bit of an outlaw at home and they lead him yeah. off the quad bike and we all know them. So and I love my opinion, horses. My opinion's only based on, on what it's like to do the first month on them, you know? Yep. Yep. And now you're camp drafting. Yeah. Hard horses. When it comes to that horse that is a, sort of a lost cause, how often do you find it's a horse that has good bloodlines? Nearly is never. It, never. Yep. Nearly never. Yeah, nearly near. And, and look, the, the, when people define good bloodlines, every second person that comes here has got a foal out of their good nationals mare. And I'm like, yeah, right. They made some mixed team and went to the nationals and got a flogging. <laughs> so when I think nationals mare, I'm thinking percussion of Abbott Grills or, you know, I'm thinking right, top, top, of line, top of the line, you know. So there's, there's, there's levels in everything and – I don't want to handicap myself. I want a, I want a Ferrari, and it starts with a well-bred horse. It seems like you never have this issue in Australia because you just have so many horses to choose from. Uh, there's just such a wealth of, of top. I mean, with uh, polo cross bloodlines, let's say, in that discipline. But are there any horses that you, uh, you love so much that you would clone if you could? Because you see that happening in polo with Adolfo. Well, look, there was talk about um, Plucker of Jane Cooper. Plucker, getting I got to play him. Yeah. I, I wrote Plucker in, in a practice. And, I played him the whole world I stick and balled, and that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he changed everything about everything for me, like riding, training, breeding, everything. He was amazing. He was as good as people say. Like, he was amazing. Well, I only rode him as an old horse, and the kids were riding him then, but I trodden and canning him up the field and i can still remember to this day how connected the reins were to his hind feet i mean those those reins were connected to his hind feet and why would you want to turn up with something with spots on it or dash of arab and all that sort of stuff and and take on a horse like that no the sapling bloodline is really amazing and i was blessed to be able to play him the whole world my whole first world cup and that changed everything for me yeah yeah he was a good good horse like that and you, you don't want to go home and ride a dink ever again no, no, he was that good. Yeah. So we're just about done, but I, I just have a, a, a one more, well, one more big question. But you say how busy you are. You've got twenty horses out there. Obviously, it's raining right now. It's hard to ride. But do you have apprentices? I mean, where do you see the future? Because you said you don't, you barely have any time. You've got these twenty horses. You're looking out in the paddock. You're doing clinics. Where do you see this year and the next five years? Are you going to be transitioning more? Or I mean, you can't do it all. So. No, well, look, the start of the start, there's no apprentices, none. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, an, it's an ungoverned trade, Ryan. That's the trouble. You know, when I was a, like an apprentice, kind of working for my uncle and grandpa, I'd come home from work and my two best mates, one was a concreter and one was a boiler maker, like a welder. And in Australia, apprenticeship means four years. I don't know if it's, well, I don't know what the rules are in your country, but you've got to do four years working for a boss before you get your ticket. And, and it's really crap money. And we'd come home after work and they'd say, oh, they hate their job, they hate this. But the golden rule is you don't quit an apprenticeship in Australia. You just don't. So I never once for a minute thought about quitting. And even though I didn't get along with my boss at all times and the money was light and the days were long, 
we have a culture now where parents are putting their kids on a pedestal. Like they seriously think that they should come to a guy like me, A, I should pay him handsomely, B, not working too hard, and C, after six months, he's a legend. No. I, I know when I did four, I did six years or something with my grandpa, I still didn't know too much when I come here. Like I would love to see if kids are committed, their parents tell them, buddy, you stay there. You know, you, you stay there and, and you go work for, for a guy and, and, and you don't quit. You don't build your own Facebook page after six months and mum and dad write how, how awesome you are. Because that's what we've got going on in Australia right now. You know, um, there's this guy in, um, in uh, the cutting in, in, in America at the moment, James Payne, and uh, he worked for the world champion for 10 years before he went out on his own. You know, so when he went out on his own, he was ready. So you're protecting your brand, obviously, no apprentices. I, yeah. I don't know if it's that, no, it's just that there's nothing in it for me. Like, I've got horses down there that, you need to be careful when you catch them. You need to be careful when you pick up their hind feet. Some kid is either going to, A, really slow me down while I teach him this stuff. So if he slows me down, I can't pay him. He needs to pay me. Or if he was here for the long haul, I'll teach him. But he needs to be here for the long haul. With clinics, I mean, how many are you planning this year? And uh... Mate, I, I really don't know. They just I'm off to uh, Geraldton in about 10 days' mm-hmm. time, which is always fun. Yeah, I've got uh, about six days lined up there or something. So I've never chased the clinics. It's just something that happens organically. But I can't wait for the old borders to be open so I can come annoy you guys, hopefully. So, um, yeah, look, uh, I, I lean, sorry. Are you clinics or camp drafting? Mate, I, I'm so enjoying um, competing at the moment. I think you grow yeah. as, a, as a rider. It's, it's not fun getting your butt kicked and being vulnerable, um, but you've got to do it. We're getting some mixed results. I got a horse show this weekend, Australian Stock Horse Show in Warwick. So yeah, I am enjoying going away competing on the weekend. That's awesome. Yeah, no, no, I think you're doing awesome. I've seen a lot of the results. So yeah, and if cool. you make if you do make it over here, we'll get you used as much as you'd like. There's such a need for it because in the states we have very few people are like Renee. We basically we don't really have anyone that's just training to sell their top horse very rare so it's just we need more people that with the knowledge doing it correctly that's just the one thing i never took a lot of time to learn and i've got these two three-year-olds right now and they were broke in october they had a few months and i've just been kind of trying to get them to the next level and so i mean i could definitely learn a lot i'm going to try to get a hold of your dvds i think i might have one that was given to me a while back but i don't know which which number it is um, that's frowned upon it's like counting cards you're not allowed to lend them dvds <laughs> <laughs> i have well, all of you except i've been promised the 505 but it hasn't arrived <laughs> i also think people don't want to pay money for top trained horses so people who train horses are kind of done doing it because they're like oh three thousand dollars well to hit the ground it's 25 to three thousand and so yeah. you want to pay me 3000 after it's already broken in and a four-year-old on the field. So people have to be ready to spin for a top horse 10 to 15. Yeah, well, I think they said there's only three ways to get a top horse. A, you buy him trained. B, you buy a green horse and you pay a trainer to train him. Or C, you train him yourself. So most of us, C's are only option. So you've got to spend money on yourself. You know, it's no use upgrading your trailer when you haven't upgraded yourself. So I'm, I'm, I reckon I would have been to five or six clinics this year where I was a student and we're only in about the fifth month. Yeah, I reckon I would have been to five clinics, loved every one of them, sit there with me notebook and I left there tougher. So, so yeah, a lot of people balk at a $300 clinic, but they don't balk at spending silly money uh, on something else. So 
if uh, if I could give the young guys in America one bit of advice uh, in your polar cross guys is you've got to ridden a good horse somewhere in your life. Otherwise, you won't know the difference. And and that Rosa of Renee's is as good as your ride. So if those kids are down there and they can beg, borrow, or steal a ride on Rosa, they need to get on her, ride her, remember what it feels like, and then go home and jump on your own horse. And, and you're going to feel some holes. And a lot of people have never rode a good horse, and they're the only ones that don't know it. I remember the first time I rode a horse in Les Boats or Max McTaggart's or, or Ian Francis. I got off and got on my horse and went, what have I been doing? What have I been feeling? Because mine feels horrid. Um, but you talk to most people and sadly they rode dad's old grey mare, so they have read a good one. But in truth is they haven't. And, and that's so true because that was me and the plucker. You know, when I got off him, I was like, I came back and read and tried to train everything I could to be him. Absolutely. You know, a horse will teach you a lot. And like I said, sadly, most people truly think they've wrote a good one, but truth is they they haven't. And yeah. I think I, I think it works the other way as well. Uh, at least in the what I've seen um, with some minimum experience in the show jumping world is that they would bring this warm blood over from Germany, this great, well trained, well bred, high high jumping horse. It would come over to some princess rider that just didn't know what to you know didn't wasn't a good rider because they had no part in training it not very tough in any way didn't go through the hard yards and then in a year that horse is it goes from the high jumps it starts hitting some jumps losing confidence it's worth a quarter of what it was when they bought it so there is something to be said for that c option where you're the one training it and going through all those hard yards if you're doing it correctly, if people are listening to people like you and Renee. Well, Smooth Seas have never made a sailor yet. And we had a little girl turn up at one of my clinics here about two years ago, and this kid was handy. And um, I said, oh, you obviously bought that horse somewhere, love, you know, and been to a lot of clinics. She said, no, train it myself off YouTube. This little girl didn't own a saddle. She had to borrow a saddle, and her parents had to borrow a horse float to get her at the clinic. They should have done a documentary on that girl because – there's lots of kids that get hauled around in a big rig. They wouldn't have achieved what that girl did just because she wanted it bad enough, you know? Yep. And I think also talented horse, but also, and to go back to your story, Ryan, you can't give people who don't know what to do good horses. They can only get a ride on them. Take them for a minute. They're going to, you know, the horse will not stay at that same level. Right. No. But they can feel what they want. And then go you to gotta be a seeker. There's, there's something in you that you've got to be a seeker and, you, and you've got to be not content and you've got to have, you know, Gary McPhee's one of my mentors back here and we'd sit up at the table till midnight going, what are those bastards doing? You know, you've seen that guy over there winning the day. What's he doing? And we'd sit up and go, well, look, tomorrow we'll try this. Tomorrow we'll change this. It was all about what we were going to change to adapt and, and try and find out better ways. So it's either in you or it isn't. I think that you want to do a better job by your animal because you have an affinity and a love for the animal and, and you want to do the best you can. You're not happy with mediocre. That's great wisdom between by you and Renee, for sure. It's awesome. No, and the problem is, yeah. Scott, I can talk forever. So, yeah. <laughs> no, this has been great. Scott, tell everyone how they can access your stuff, your website, Facebook, all that. Okay, so I do have a website called skhorsemanship.com. And it's not a fancy website. We've just got a few items on there, some of my training tools and my DVDs. Um, other than that, we're, we're, we're kind of pretty active on social media. So Scott Keogh Horsemanship on uh, Facebook or Instagram. We quite often give away, you know, free tips of the week and things like that. We have some little, little tips on there. So, um, 
Yeah, look, um, I appreciate you guys having me on here. I really do. And if you're interested in a clinic in your area, um, shoot me a message on the old facey or something or, or order one of my DVDs. Or even if you've got a question, shoot, shoot me a question. I'll, I'll do my best to help you. And how I'm speaking of the website, how much of those videos that you can buy individually are a part of the DVD set or are they totally separate? No, you can get a five pack, um, I think for about 380 Australian dollars. So that'd be like a dollar fifty American. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the money goes to a non-profit organization called the Scott Keogh Fund. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not much profit. Hold your house. <laughs> no, I was talking about those videos that you can buy like $15 for an individual video. Yeah. yeah. So, so they're on like a Vimeo format. Yeah. And I don't even know how to find them. <laughs> well, there's there's a video section. So yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to do it. So yeah, uh, I need Renee to like quit her job and become my agent. Actually, Sally, <laughs> she's like the PR person. Uh, yep, yep. I need an American okay, so agent. So I have one more question that someone just wrote down. Do you like any bit over another bit? Like you always um, ride, like you will ride in like twists and stuff, but you just ride in yeah. normal snaffles. Do you just go with the horse how they feel? Look, I've probably like a got hundred of the bomber bits. Put it this way: horses are gonna go better in a certain bit. There's different tongue thickness. There's different shapes of mouth. There's different sensitivities, right? I'm not saying he doesn't go better in a this, that, the other. But if you can't school him in a smooth snaffle or a twist snaffle, you got a hole, okay? Because a snaffle doesn't tell a lie. Um, right. So yeah, I'm all for tongue relief, this and roll of that. I'm all for it. All this, my horse shakes his head if you don't put this on him. Bullshit. Pull harder till he stops shaking his head. You know, we, we live in a world of instant gratification and nothing's wrong with you, nothing's wrong with the horse. It's the bit. As and long as you are fine and if it's in the mouth. Oh, absolutely. We do their teeth. We Chiron. Um, sure. But we live in a world where for 100 bucks we don't have to change our ways. We just change the bit. <laughs> yep. Well yep. said. Well said. Awesome. So, All but, right. Um, yeah, thank right you for your time. It's, you know, it's been a blast and um, hope you guys are safe and well and uh, hope to see you soon. We're all awesome. good. Yeah, everything's good. Miss you guys. Give your family a hug. Will do. You too, guys. All, all right. right. Cheers. Have a good night or Cheers. have a good day. Yep. <laughs> okay, bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode. What a tremendous time we had with Scott. Not only is he full of tremendous information, but he's also a funny loving caring guy cheers to you scott here on chugga talk we appreciate your feedback have you enjoyed the show do you have questions or comments please rate and review on apple Podcasts. for a chance to be featured on the show leave a voicemail by finding the send voicemail sidebar button on polacrossmadesimple.com for more polacross coaching go to polacrossmadesimple.com you'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one.